Welcome to Motorsport Coaching, the podcast for racers with racers. Miss Motivate can help get you to the next level. Every episode, she talks to the best racers of today and those that can get you there. She'll help you get better. Racing new. At fitness, nutrition, sports psychology, sponsorship, social media, public relations, and media training. Connect with Miss Motivate at motivatetraining.com.au. That's M O T I V, the number eight, training.com.au. And now, to help get you to the next level, Miss Motivate herself, Belinda Risley. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Motorsport Coaching. My name is Belinda Risley, your host for today. I'm very excited to welcome Mr. Justin Holland. Justin is a course coordinator and lecturer in clinical exercise physiology at Queensland University of Technology. His current teaching areas are musculoskeletal and neurological rehabilitation, as well as exercise and programming. The reason I've got Justin on the show today is that he did a wonderful, or I should say interesting, uh, white paper around uh, hydration in motorsports, specifically in the V8s. So let's listen to how that paper came about and the outcomes. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit more about you and what do you do currently at QUT? Uh, so I'm a lecturer and course coordinator here at QUT uh, in Queensland. Um, lecturing predominantly in musculoskeletal and neurological rehabilitation, as well as uh, strength and conditioning and exercise programming a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that role is working a lot with different clinical populations um, from predominantly Parkinson's, osteoarthritis, back pain uh, and cardiac conditions. Uh, but then also research side is more in predominantly into the motorsport pathway and uh, driver development and um, predominantly thermoregulation and hydration as well. Fantastic. And that's why we've got you on the show for today mm-hmm. <laughs> to hear more about your study. Um, so you've completed a PhD around the role of hydration in motorsports performance. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about that. Take yeah. Um, so... When did it start uh, and how long, yeah, when did you start? Like what kind of um, categories did you follow? Um, yeah, and what the findings were? Yeah, so the, the thesis itself, um, a lot of it predominantly is based in Australia. So we tried to keep it isolated uh, a little bit to Australian motorsport, um, just one because of access and feasibility <laughs> um, was one. Um, so we, we aimed high. Um, we, we went for V8 supercars um, drivers to for a lot of our field-based work um, and that, that in itself has its challenges uh, working with um, elite, elite athletes. Um, but uh, what we sort of did is we did a first study looking at the characteristics of drivers. So what, what the strength levels are, what their next strength is, their cardiorespiratory fitness and flexibility levels are. Uh, was no one's really defined yet uh, in comparison to tra- traditional-based athletes what motorsport athletes possess in terms of fitness levels mm-hmm. uh, and particularly looking across the three domains of fitness of strength, cardiorespiratory and uh, flexibility. Yep. Uh, there's some isolated work out there but uh, never looking at the three predominant domains of fitness. And then we looked at uh, what drivers actually do in the field so this was looking at uh, V8 supercar drivers, 
and we were observing their behaviors related to hydration and thermoregulation to see how much they consumed in terms of fluid, how much fluid they lost, uh, what types of fluid they were drinking, uh, and as well as looking at their heart rates and body temperatures as well. And then we did a survey looking at uh, both amateur and professional athletes. Uh, and this was across, across the globe. We did this one um, to see if there was differences between professional and amateur drivers in terms of their behaviours and attitudes uh, to undertaking uh, hydration-related behaviours. And finally, we replicated everything that we found there in a simulated-based environment. Um, obviously, we can't put drivers on a track uh, purposely dehydrated, which is a bit unsafe, but uh, what we tried to do, we tried to replicate what we found in a simulator to see if those behaviours would have an effect on their driving performance uh, and also their reaction times and cognition. And did it have an effect? Um, so in terms of performance, um, we didn't find an effect between average lap time. Um, we did find towards the end of uh, 60 minutes of racing that uh, those that were dehydrated uh, by about 2.7% body mass loss uh, did tend to have a couple more accidents uh, on the simulated circuit. Um, and we also found that physiologically, if a driver is dehydrated, their core temperature, heart rates, sweat rate, um, and skin temperature is also substantially higher uh, at the end of 60 minutes. One of the interesting findings though that we did find is, um, so we had two groups, one group was hydrated at the start uh, and one group was dehydrated before they entered the simulator. And despite the group being hydrated at the start, um, by the end of 60 minutes of racing in um, 43 degree temperatures, which is similar to what the cabin temperature would be in a V8 supercar, they perceptually felt the same as being dehydrated. So it indicated to us that even if you enter a race hydrated, yeah. by the end of it, if you're not consuming fluid during, perceptually you will feel the same as someone who is dehydrated, um, which obviously then brings into a whole lot of issues around cognitive performance, uh, reaction time, and then also uh, relationships with uh, engineers, you know, if you're feeling perceptually tired and you're not alert and you're going to lose interest in giving feedback to the engineer, which then may obviously then affect your subsequent performance if you can't provide uh, appropriate feedback. Uh, so that was quite an interesting finding that, uh, that even if you're hydrated at the start of a race, it doesn't protect you from entering dehydration levels uh, at the end, um, perceptually. Uh, at the end of it. Fantastic. Um, you said there were some challenges working with the elite athletes. What were some of those challenges? Um, so it was a couple of challenges in terms of uh, was trying to get a good sample size. Yep. Um, as soon as we sort of enter in with one team, that team becomes obviously protective over their information and uh, logistically it's quite hard to try and get multiple drivers to participate together. Yep. Um, obviously, you can't ask 24 supercar drivers to arrive at 8 o'clock in the morning to provide yep. a urine sample for you. Um, this is probably not logistically possible. Yep. Um, so rather what we did is we've narrowed it down and we've got uh, three fantastic drivers to, to work beside us. And uh, we basically followed them across uh, three, three different races, yep. race weekends. Um, so we looked at Gold Coast was a bit of a pilot for us. 
um, where we, which was an endurance session. Uh, then we did uh, Adelaide, Sydney, and Phillip Island. Um, so we got a nice balance between Phillip Island, which is obviously very cold, yep. uh, to Sydney in Olympic Park, which is a street circuit, so there's a lot more heat absorption around the track. Uh, and Adelaide as well, given it's the first race in uh, February, March, uh, it means that it's still quite warm there. Um, so we got to see a nice spectrum of, of the drivers. Um, but importantly, I think when working with the elite side to it uh, is respecting the driver's time, particularly from a research perspective, uh, is respecting their preparation as well. Um, obviously, if you're entering as a strength and conditioning coach or an athletic prep uh, trainer, it's you try and do everything that you can to make sure that athlete is performing highly. Um, so, from a research side, we had to sort of uh, allow that to flow and obviously respect the time of the drivers, um, which does obviously uh, hinder some of the data collection. But um, that's the logistical side of working with elite sport. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so as far as um, loss of fluid during the 60 minutes, um, what kind of fluids do you recommend them to take to replenish the lost fluids? Is it water predominantly or are they taking sports supplementation? Yeah, so um, what we did in the simulator, we didn't actually provide any fluid during that. Um, one of the reasons for that is during the uh, races that we observed in the V8s, um, the drivers actually weren't drinking anything during the races. Um, if they were drinking, it wouldn't be any more than a couple of sips of water. And the predominant reason for that is the water temperature got up to about a uh, maximum of about 44 degrees sometimes. So it's unpalatable. Um, it's warm. It's actually heating them. So uh, they didn't see the point in actually consuming any, any fluid. Um, so, that was one of the reasons why we replicated no fluid in the simulator to try and see whether that had an effect. Um, in terms of some other teams though, um, I know some other teams do use quite good tech cooling technology to keep their water cold. Um, and they, those drivers do tend to drink a little bit more. So for a 60 minute duration, uh, as long as the water is kept at a palatable temperature between about four to 10 degrees, uh, water is the best, uh, sort of in that time frame. Leaving a race or finishing a race, sports strengths may become handy if there's significant sweat losses um, and salt losses as well. Anything over 60 minutes, uh, that's when sports strengths may become more viable, um, as long as they're again maintained at a decent temperature. Uh, I was talking with a lot of the teams. They've tried uh, using sports drinks, but because of the temperatures within the car, the sugar in the sports drink starts to actually crystallize on the uh, camelbacks or in their water container, and then it gets blocked. Uh, so that's uh, some considerations around that. But um, it, depending on the scale of, of athlete, if it's an amateur or someone who doesn't necessarily have a lot of funding to implement cooling devices for a water container, um, camelbacks filled with ice water um, would be substantially enough um, to make sure that their internal body temperature is, uh, is appropriate and trying to cool as efficiently as possible. Um, so for anyone who's racing sort of in that 10 to 20 minute 
duration, uh, which is a lot of the semi-professional drivers, uh, water would be more than applicable and then using um, something of a sports drink in nature afterwards would be uh, appropriate as well. Uh, but ensuring that they also eat nutritionally well um, because there's obviously going to be uh, carbohydrates in the food source. Uh, so getting sugar intake from a sports drink, uh, if it's not required, may not be the best option. Um, so a lot of times what we sometimes see is that people will drive for maybe 10 minutes in a go-kart, for example, but they aren't necessarily losing a lot of sweat or their energy expenditure isn't quite high. So by having that sugar intake, they're actually going to put more weight on. So by the end of the season, they may end up being three, four kilos heavier. <laughs> and it's actually going to go backwards in terms of their weight balance uh, in terms of the car, person to car ratio. So uh, I think it's definitely something to consider and whether you need it and whether it's appropriate uh, for the demands of your sport. Fantastic. Thanks for that. I've just got so much information to overload. That's, um, <laughs> that's good. Um, so have you always been interested in motorsports? Like how did you come across um, getting into this research and, and what really drives you to continue with it? Yeah, so growing, growing up, um, I always was a big fan of, you know, the, the annual Bathurst race. Um, we always used to wake up early and, and watch that on, on Sundays. Um, but it wasn't really till I was about 16, 17 when I really sort of thought, maybe as a career path of getting into um, through the uh, physical fitness side and driver preparation. Um, that was sort of an angle that I thought maybe I could take because I got more interest in it, particularly around 16, 17 would have been when Mark Weber sort of broke around into Formula One. So that was a big sort of push, obviously, with Australian uh, interest in motorsport there. So that's, that's sort of where it stemmed from. And then, uh, once I was doing my undergrad, um, I proposed it to some of the lecturers and uh, obviously there's not much research in motorsports. So um, I thought, well, this could be a unique side uh, and, a, and a unique area to get into um, with the end goal trying to be getting into Formula One or um, in, in an elite sort of sense of training and physical preparation for drivers. And is that still the goal? It's, it's still on the radar, um, whether that be through research side, um, working research or one-on-one -on -one with drivers. Um, yeah, it's still, still, still on the radar. Um, I think there's a lot to do research-wise still with, with these drivers. Um, is the, main, the main challenge is around access funding resources, um, whether that be from an uh, organisational perspective or... Um, from actual drivers' interests themselves. Yeah. And have you worked with any of the drivers, like one-on-one, -on -one, um, even doing, like, the physical training side of things? Uh, not so much. Uh, not one-on-one. -on -one. Um, we had the drivers that were, that were in, the th in my uh, PhD thesis. They, I would say we worked with them predominantly for... That probably would have been about a six-month process working with them, but unfortunately we weren't allowed to actually intervene with them because it would have hindered the study results. Um, it was purely just observation. Um, but I think even just being there and being a presence, um, some of the drivers ended up losing about five kilos over the Christmas period because they saw their data, they saw their information, 
and they thought oh, I could I could drop my body fat down a little bit. So uh, just the presence itself, I think, has a potential impact on drivers. Fantastic. And have you raced yourself? Like, a, is it just a, an actual um, passion project that's turned into to, to your life career? Or yeah, I wish I wish I could have raced. Um, unfortunately, I'm sure as everyone sort of appreciates, the cost around motorsport isn't cheap. Yeah. Um, so, and I think I started a little bit too late to to sort of get into any go-karting or anything as well. Um, so it's been more of a passion and a side observer and I thought, oh, I can use my talents uh, in, a, in a side angle uh, yeah. than being an actual driver, yeah. And are you currently doing any research now? Um, so we've got a couple of um, project ideas that we want to do. Um, one of those is trying to actually look at the driver's race suits and to see how much they impact on the sweat rate and sweat loss of a driver. Um, no one's really sort of quantified how much just the apparel itself um, impacts on a driver's sweating uh, and how much that creates in terms of uh, body temperature or the effectiveness, particularly for the other professionals that use cool suits, how well those cool suits actually cool the driver. Yeah. Um, so that's one angle that we want to look at. Um, also in the endurance races, so uh, more so like the 24-hour races, but also 12, the 12-hour 12 Bathurst race, um, looking at sleep mm. and carbon monoxide as well. Um, there's a fairly strongish link between carbon monoxide and sleep quality, um, but also a lot of these drivers have it starting at racing at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, which means that they're usually up at probably 3 o'clock um, and that's going to disturb their sleep and then seeing how that impacts their subsequent ra racing ability if they have to drive in an afternoon stint as well. Um, so looking at like the Le Mans sort of series and 24-hour challenges uh, in terms of sleep quality there. Um, there's also another angle that we want to take in determining what actually makes a driver um, and not just looking at the physical component. Um, Motorsport's more, it's physical, it's cognitive, um, it's re relationships as well in terms of your relationship with the engineer, your family, because um, it is a family-based sport that uh, it's just not how fit you are. Um, there's a whole lot of other side to it um, that can determine who a winner is. Uh, and, I mean, you could have the same car, same fitness levels, but if you're mentally prepared and for the day, you're probably going to be the one that's going to win. And of course, you your nutritional intake as well. Exactly right. Nutrition as well. Yeah. Um, in a couple of weeks, I have a great interview coming up with an osteopath that we work with, Annabelle Runford, and she's actually wanting to do some research around um, breast cancer and female um, drivers ah. and the impact that does, does um, a crash have. Okay. On their um, breasts and, and the suit, the, again, like the role that the suit plays um, um, of um, protecting them. Yeah, right. That would be interesting. I, thought, I didn't even think of that. So yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> She's yeah. Say, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Doing that. And yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so I've lost my train of thought now. I was thinking of like, oh, that's exciting. <laughs> what are you going to be doing? <laughs> Um, 
Oh, and so have you got um, teams that you can, can work with at the moment or are you looking for teams um, for those studies that, that could be of interest or how do you um, get your participants really? Yeah, so for PhD participants, there's a lot of cold calling. Uh, it was a lot of uh, emails and then using contacts in the industry. Um, so we, we tried basically every team in V8 Supercars. Uh, I can't say which team because otherwise that will break... Uh, which team we actually worked with and the drivers, but um, we were able to get um, a very prominent team on board uh, and then we got to do some side work with some other teams. So it was a lot of cold calling uh, with it and then just contacts in the industry uh, to get on board. Um, I think by, by the end of the time the PhD was finished, it would have been good to have all those contacts before it started uh, but I guess that's the process of it uh, in getting into the industry and, and getting those contacts. I think now in terms of the next phase of recruitment it really it needs to come down from like CAMS or FIA sort of direction um, because that's obviously where the participants are going to come from uh, and if there's directive from those organisations more teams are going to be on board to get that research done. Uh, so that that's more so the new direction with it, but we're certainly not against if a team was wanting research done um, to facilitate that. Um, so we, we're definitely not against that. Um, but I think in terms of when we look at publishing research or getting research out there, they always look at your numbers and they always look at how many participants you have. Um, so that's sort of the direction that we need to take with it and as soon as you do human-based research uh, there's always a lot of challenges in recruiting those people um, so that's the new direction I think we're going to take in going more with the FIA and with CAMS and the Global Motorsport Safety Institute in Switzerland as well oh, cool. um, is, is where the new direction hopefully will take. Oh, that's very exciting. Mm. Have you got any dates or is that like, like a 2019 project? Uh, so it's probably going to be 2019. Um, we're at the moment, I'm talking with a student in Italy who wants to come over and do a PhD. So um, if if he gets accepted here, um, that would that will build on that. Um, but we're definitely looking towards 2019 to start some more of that research, um, and even trying to partner with. Um, coming back to your previous question, just about partnership with industry in terms of. We do the race suit sort of project. We'd be looking at like um, Sparco or Alpine and things like that. RPM Racewear to try and get them on board um, to facilitate different race suits and designs and the most expensive versus least expensive in terms of thermoregulation. So 2019 is going to be the year, hopefully, uh, if, we, if we get our PhD student on board yeah. uh, to undertake some of that research. 2019 will be here sooner than we know. Yeah, that is exactly right. Yep. We're already planning for the next year already. It's like yep. it's crazy. <laughs> I know. Um, and so just finishing up, what are some um, tips you can give our listeners around about hydration um, during the, the motorsport race? I mean, you spoke about the shorter races. Mm -hmm. um, that water was fine. Um, and the longer races, generally over 60 minutes um, to have water. Um, mm -hmm. Um, is there anything, any other tips? Um, is it like about, as you said, like coming through their foods, through the hydration? Um, and what about things about dealing with going to the toilet requires? Yeah. Um, so I think 
three three key points would be keep it simple. Um, don't over over complicate it, um, but be aware of it. Um, acknowledge that it's important uh, for race preparation, um, but there's a it's one percent of your preparation. Um, but the, every one percent does add up to to the end goal. So simple tips that I'd recommend. Um, be aware of how much you're drinking during the day. So that could be as simple as if you're using bottled water, um, stack up your bottles um, in terms of, so that way you know how much you've consumed, which is what we actually did with our drivers. As soon as they finished the bottle, we got them to put it there and then we could add up how many meals they'd actually consumed throughout the day. Um, other ones is look at urine colour. Yeah. Um, should be straw-based uh, colour um, or very, very uh, pale yellow colour. Um, if it's darker than that, you need more fluid. If it's lighter, um, you're in a safe range. But I'd never recommend to anyone to overhydrate or, or go past their limits uh, or what they need. So prehydrating or drinking over what you expect for a race is not going to offer any benefit. So um, just sometimes the new recommendation now of what they're going through is maybe to thirst, but it's pre-planned thirst. Um, or, or drinking within what you know you're going to need and also drinking uh, at the most opportune point. So I guess the easiest way to think about it is if you're, you know, if you look at Monaco uh, from a couple of weekends ago when Dan won, getting a drink there would be very hard because you've got to do so many gear changes and brake applications and driving and um, changes on the steering wheel. Like actually getting a drink is probably very hard to do. Um, but if there's a safety car period, there's long straights, um, that's probably the most opportune point to actually consume fluid. Um, so it's, it's very hard to put a pre-planned structure in place saying you need to drink this many mils per minute. Um, it, it's more about what is the most opportune point uh, to drink fluid. Um, and it's the same for, for cyclists even. You know, they're not going to be able to drink if they're going around weavy bends. But at food stations and food stops, they can grab uh, food intake there. Uh, the other one is in terms of um, the fluid that you actually consume. Um, water is always the best rehydrating fluid. Um, sports drinks over that 60 minutes uh, are a good intake. Um, tea, coffee also do hydrate. Um, coffee, um, some people have the idea that it's actually a diuretic. Uh, only when you get up to about five cups of coffee will it actually start to make you uh, need to go to the bathroom but depends i've heard all day just yeah have five cups have five cups and you'll be right but i mean it does depend on your habitual coffee intake though if you haven't consumed coffee before you're not a regular coffee drinker it will have a different effect on you compared to someone who drinks it every day and that's a whole new podcast in itself isn't it, it? it is coffee and performance or um yeah coffee tea that's that's right um so they do have a rehydrating element to them so um by all means um milk as well is is very good at hydrating uh and particularly after a race um you know if you have a chocolate milk or just plain plain milk it, it actually can help retain fluid better because of the protein content in it compared to a gatorade which if you consume a gatorade quite quickly um it, you'll actually pass it through at a quicker rate compared to say a milk-based beverage where you may only have 300 mils of it because the protein helps store the water a little bit better. 
Um, so some teams now, uh, in, even in the rugby league, are actually giving their um, players chocolate milk after they finish um, because of the protein-based content and the ability for it to retain uh, water and rehydrate better. Uh, in terms of during a race, um, for the tip number three, I think uh, if it's beneficial for you and you know that it's going to be a long race, then look at drink, drinking fluid during. Um, if it's a 10-minute, 15-minute race, um, you can probably warrant yourself in not having to worry about fluid during. Um, and the cost benefit of implementing a cooling device for your car is probably not going to be needed. It's probably financially, the benefit is going to go towards parts or spares or something like that. Um, so for those professional drivers, though, um, who have maybe a little bit more financial resources, cooling fluid during a race uh, is definitely warranted to make it palatable um, to, can, to drink, um, to maintain that cognitive ability and that perceptual response. Um, was that everything in the, in the question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my question. What about our friends at Red Bull? Do they get a run? <laughs> um, Monster Energy. I know some of the guys are sponsored by Monster Energy drinks as well. Like yeah. energy drinks, like those type of energy drinks have a play or is it really just good to go with vodka? Um, when we actually asked um, in the survey between the professionals and amateurs about who was drinking what and the percentage of people that were actually consuming fluid um, during, uh, sorry, or, or the beverage type. Um, energy drinks were the third most rated behind, uh, water was first, then Powerade, Gatorade, and then energy drinks. Um, there still wasn't a, a high percentage. I mean, water was consumed by 95% and energy drinks were about 15%. <laughs> so that was, a, that was at least a positive um, in what we saw there. Um, I think just be wary in terms of those energy drinks with the sugar content. Um, if, it, if you're having it because it's got the caffeine in it, then perhaps go for a more caffeinated beverage like a coffee or, or, or a tea um, because the sugar is probably not needed if you're having a meal alongside it as well. Um, yeah, I, it, it, and it comes down to the demands of your race as well. Mm -hmm. If it's a 10, 15-minute race, that sugar, that energy is probably not going to be warranted through an energy-based, uh, an energy drink. Um, so I wouldn't be saying that that energy drink is going to get you the extra 10, 15% that you need to win compared to your next competitor. Um, it's most likely other areas that you would be better investing time and energy into than into that sports drink. Because that sports drink won't, or the energy drink, won't necessarily get you across across the line um and it also depends on how much caffeine are in those energy drinks yep. um they need to have about three mil milligrams per kilogram of body mass um to have any effect on performance and usually consume about half an hour before an event as well mm -hmm. and that's assuming that uh, you then don't have to go to the bathroom <laughs> the race as well I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah um and i think just on the final question justin is there really any difference between all the different types of bottles of water available or versus like bottle versus tap water that big question? yeah good question um 
always got my Mount Franklin, but you know, there's Cool Ridge, there's flavored water these days. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything under the sun. I actually reviewed a paper a couple of weeks ago on uh, deep Hawaiian uh, from the uh, Kona water. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's the water's gathered from 1300 meters below sea level. Uh, and they were comparing it against other beverage types. Um, but it, it doesn't work. Um, I, w- I think the water itself, um, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, if there's additives to the water, for example, um, if you add hydrolyte or you add a salt-based um, rehydrate to your water, then yes, there is potential. But if we're just comparing, say, Cool Ridge to Mount Franklin to, to the spring water types, to tap water, um, there's very little difference uh, between them uh, in terms of rehydrating properties. Sure, they, they might taste a bit better. And if you like that taste better, um, then by all means, um, go for the one that tastes better because that's the one you're going to drink more of. Um, Flavoured water. Um, you know, maybe if they've added a lemon flavoring to it, if you prefer that, then yes, um, drink, drink that if you like it, but it's not going to necessarily change your, uh, ability to hydrate compared to, um, just your standard, standard tap water. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, thank you so much, Justin. I can hear that there's so many different avenues we could go down, coffee, tea, energy drinks, flavoured waters to continue this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, How can people connect with you if they're wanting to know more about um, your study or be involved with your study, even maybe someone from camps is listening? Yeah. um, So email is is a good way. would you like do you want me to say that what the email is? Oh, I will be in the show notes. Yeah, in the show, yeah. Um, so email is one. Um, Twitter is also another good avenue um, for me that I regularly um, uh, interact with. Uh, so yeah, email or Twitter are probably both the two best ones um, to get in contact with. Great. And just before we go, one more thing: Can you recommend any resources, free or pay? Um, that people can learn more either about hydration or is there like a toolkit or an online app that you can see about your urine, um, anything like that, or how to um, capture their water intake or something? Yeah, there's a couple um, of free resources on online that people can use. Um, the best motorsport-specific one, um, CAMS actually did a big project back in, uh, I think it was... 2011 um that was called clear to steer um so that was uh they came out with a recommendation guide for drivers there um the fia also do have a a driver manual um that does have some recommendations in it um probably does need a little bit updating um in terms of mills of what people should be consuming uh but that's also another good resource um Hydration education uh, in the UK is is another one um, that's quite good, and sports dietitians uh, Australia is also a good resource. That's um, an evidence based uh, resource for people to use. Um, there is, there is others um, with uh, like Gatorade and Powerade. They do have online sort of how much you should be drinking, what you should be drinking, what their one is. 
Um, it's not a bad resource, um, but just be wary. They're probably going to push a certain product <laughs> yeah. towards you. Um, but just be wary about whether you actually need to consume that. Um, if you're monitoring your hydration levels through urine, through perceptual feelings of thirst, um, then uh, you probably don't need to be overthinking it too much. Uh, monitoring is the best best tool. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Justin. I've certainly learned a lot about hydration and the effects of um, water in our performance. Um, we look forward to catching up with you hopefully next year and we can yes. hear how those new projects are coming along. So again, thank you and we'll talk to you soon. Get ready for the race. Do you feel one step closer to being the next superstar behind the wheel? MotivateTraining.com.au for more. M-O-T-I-V, the number eight, training.com.au. The green flag. Every episode gets you one step closer to the checkered flag. The Motorsport Coaching Podcast, getting you to the checkered flag faster.